0: Welcome back to the Club Sports Podcast. You're on with Coach Lee and Coach Mike. Tonight's guest, one of my really good friends and one of the best baseball people I know, Steve Teal. And Steve comes on tonight's show and discusses everything from what reopening play is going to look like for his club team when the restrictions are lifted to his coaching philosophy and how it's made his program so successful and just a bunch of great stories and a lot of good laughs.
1: So make sure you click and subscribe to the show and follow us over on Instagram and Twitter at at Club Sports Podcast. Thanks for being here and enjoy the episode coach. Steve, There's, how
2: are you? How you doing, man?
0: Steve, Mike, when uh, Steve said coach, he was talking to me, not you. Hey, you know what? <laughs> only, only
1: one of us pushed his back up against the wall in the freshman county tournament. <laughs> it wasn't Lee Rubin.
0: I think we should start there, actually, right? I mean, Steve, I'm not sure if you knew. I think every time, like, you play a big-time school like a St. Joe's, you mark that thing on your calendar. No, I'm there. I, we, I talked to him about it before we ever said anything. He had it. He had you guys circled, and he he nope, had a game had plan. Right, Steve. Since the then, plan. when I had
1: since I've held tryouts in the last three years. Since then, if kids throw over 45 miles an hour, I cut them. I won't. Mm, I won't right. keep them
2: on the team. <laughs> right below the hitting speed, Bob. That's it. Clap it. The old reporter for the record. I
0: love <laughs> it. How you doing, Coach? You doing all right? Good, man. Yeah, good. What's it? What's a day to day? I know you know you're still busy with lessons and you know, but what's what's a day to day like right now? Yeah, still doing anywhere from six to nine
2: lessons a week. just talked to the field director in Wyckoff, so he said he's going to try to get me fields two days next week to start getting my club team outside. Wow. Uh, I talked to pretty much eight club, you know, guys that run clubs my age yesterday. All of them are down. You know, I, I want to do controlled scrimmages, 35 pitches a kid you know, switch innings, not even have innings, start first and third, start with a guy on second to work on cutoffs to home, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, we were talking about the same thing and really and having those be your outdoor practices.
2: Right. A lot of people are having trouble getting fields. That's, like, really the issue right now, especially in Bergen County because our COVID numbers are so high, like, way higher than anyone in the state. But outside of Hudson, I think that's the thing. The These, you know, these towns are very scared to let you know, groups of people on there. Yeah.
0: It's like, who's going to be the first municipal municipality to allow people to get back on the field. Right. I mean, who's going to, right. but then meanwhile, like you, you go on these forums or wherever and there's places around the state that are just dying to get out there, you know, doing scrimmages. Yeah, I think every,
2: I think everybody is. I mean, I talked to Andy Wingfield today. He's the Wyckoff director. You know, he said as long as it's between 12 and four in the afternoon, he said, you know, I could pretty much get on it most, most days, you know, I guess a lot of teams in town are practicing in the morning or at night. So, you know, and I said, I'm not, I'm not picky. I'll practice morning, night, whatever, whatever days you got Sunday morning at seven thirty AM I'm down. Like, you know, I just want to get the guys out there and get them prepared.
1: Have you had any turnover? Are there any, is there anybody on your team who or their kids who aren't coming back with with things reopening or everybody's in still? No,
2: no, everybody's in. My only problem right now is football. I'm sure you guys have it in softball with girls soccer, things like that, where, you know, we only really have another, say when we play July 7th, say that's the earliest we can get out there. In my reality, it's probably July 14th. You got about, I think football starts July 15th. So really you got about a month of games, three weeks until those football guys are going full bore plus this year they're so far behind who knows what these coaches are going to do starting July 15th with are they going to have two a days three a days they're going to have to cram you know four months of light work in to two months of
0: like go 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 let me Steve let me ask you like you know you take a a step back right You, you, you kind of pull away from being the coach or being a parent for you both right but do you think we're forcing this at all? Like, is there anything do you feel like is, you know, where we're just, we're, we're well, trying to, so hard to get out there and we're just, we're pushing the envelope to to, to Well, I think whatever. like
2: these teams, you know, these teams that are, well, okay. It depends what age you are. I feel like if you're from 12 to 14, maybe even 15, there's no need to go to Ohio or North Carolina or Tennessee or Florida or Alabama right. to play tournaments because number one, college coaches aren't allowed there. Right. So you're you're not getting recruited. Number two is if they were, they're not coming and recruit a twelve year old, thirteen year old, fourteen year old. So I think people are putting the the we need to go to a tournament as instead of we need to go have practice. I love the phrase controlled practice. That's what things need to be right now. You know, where kids are they're going out and competing against other teams, but once they hit their thirty pitches, no matter if they get one out, three outs, five outs, you're off the field. Like It's, I feel like a lot of programs don't put development first. And the seven coaches I reached out to yesterday are all development first coaches that that's why I called them. There's five or six other clubs that I know I didn't even reach out because they want to go to Diamond Nation and they want to go to Long Island or whatever's open and go play and, you know, compete for that trophy.
1: Do you find Steve that a lot of those coaches who are development first coaches uh, the way you are the late way, way Lee and I are. Do you find that they tend to come from the high school ranks? Because Lee and I have talked uh, about
2: Yeah, a lot of high a lot of high school coaches, but I just think like Jim Wattica, right? Jim has like been in the business, you know, mm-hmm. forever. His dad's been in the business since I'm eight years old and I'm yep. way older than eight years old right now, right? So, you know, I Jim was the first guy I texted and he's the first guy, coach, I'm on board. That's what I want to do. I'll work on fields. You'll work on field. So I just reached out to the guy. I think a lot of the dad, I am a dad, right? My I coach my son, and I'm a dad. But a lot of the dads that aren't in the industry, like I've been, they want, they feel like they need to win the trophies like for their kids. You know, like if their kids don't get these trophies, they're really going to be upset this year. So I feel like it's more the dad coaches than it is the professional guys, right. so so to speak, are the ones that want to go to the tournaments to try to win, to try to win the trophy at the tournament, regardless of. How many pitches they throw a kid or, you know, how many catchers they have and, you know, just how many games you're playing. Yeah, well, Lee, playing- Lee
1: and I have talked a lot about how coming from the high school world and leave from college and professional worlds like in our world, it's practice four or five days a week to play one game, right? You practice right. four times to get ready to play once. And in the club softball mm-hmm. world, it's you practice one day a week to play six or seven games in a weekend. It's Correct. completely Correct. reversed. Uh, we never get enough practice time with our girls as even in a regular season. We don't feel like we have enough practice time with our kids.
2: Right. And, and a lot of the clubs don't, you know, that's one thing about being a club coach is you know, trying to get the, and it's the reason I get the field, I should finish my sentence. But so this year I took over my son's club. They played 17 tournaments last year and had zero practices. And to me as a parent, I felt I was, I'm, I had my own club team. So I, I couldn't coach. I couldn't commit my time. Now that I don't have that club team anymore, the guys are older, they're playing these showcase clubs. I said to my wife, I need to be able to put forth the effort with my son that I did for these other kids. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Real quick, a little background, Steve, because you know, you've been in the you've been in the club world for a long, long time. And yeah. your Northern Valley Ravens team, like, you know, there's a lot of pretty you know, I wouldn't use the word famous, but pretty successful alum that came off. Yeah, the program. A lot,
2: right. A lot of good, a lot of good division one players came, came out of our program. Yeah. Yes.
0: So can you, can you just get into a little bit of, you know, how you, you know, when you started up with the clubs, with the club organizations and kind of how you've seen things evolve over time from when you started to what, you know, we're looking at right now. So, yeah, so we started with, I started with Garrett back in
2: 03. And it was primarily, they're really, the club baseball wasn't that big of a thing back then. We started it as a Cooperstown thing. Let's play spring, summer, and prepare these guys for Cooperstown, which back then was like 64 teams, great tournament, great experience for me, Staying, I was a 23-year-old guy staying in the dorms. And that's how we built our club. We built our club program from there. Then in 2004, we expanded. I had the fourteen-year-old team, which I made, really was one of the first club teams in New Jersey. We went to Connecticut, New York, we went to Delaware, we went to Florida. Back then, there was no perfect game, wow, so it was right. the, AA, the AAU nationals. There was 110 teams. It was a great tournament down in Disney, and it was a, a really, a really fun time. And I think you know that team, that team was like 50 and 10. We played 60 games, which back wow. then was like insane we won a lot of the tournaments and you know then from there I went to Closter and I started my own facility and the first year I had two club teams and the next year I had six and then by year three I had eight and I was pretty much running eight club teams a year for 10 years and that's a it's a stressful stressful thing to run eight club teams as you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, when you, when you grow that much, you're only as good as your coaches are, right. And not, Correct. and I don't want Correct. you throwing your coaches under the bus because you've had great ones. No, I had
2: some great, I was so lucky. I was lucky. I had, I had some really good, most of the, my guys that have coached there, they were young back then. So they were just cutting their teeth. Right. But now they're running their own facilities. They're coaching their own clubs. They're running their own programs. So, you know, I kind of, a lot of the guys I still talk to, I played golf with a few weeks ago, like, I gave them their shot in the business and they really, and they really took the ball and ran with it when I left closer and came back to Wyckoff.
0: Yeah. So kind of fast forward now and, you know, for us, you know, we were on, had a conversation with this a gentleman, Jeff Kittle, he runs, all of New Jersey, all of Pennsylvania. And it was interesting to hear for you, which is a big governing Uh body of softball. Yeah. And we asked him how he got into it. And he said 25 years or what, Mike, what was it? 25 25, years. 25 years. He started off as a coach and, you know, the club scene was just starting and we asked him what the differences were. And he was, you know, just kind of getting into how watered down things had become over time. Is that the same thing that you've seen with baseball? Just the amount of, you know, you tell me, I mean, what, what's it look like now compared to when it first started? Competition wise, I,
2: like I feel like we're on the rebound now. All right. So it got to a point, it got to a point probably when I was in closer those years where legit every guy had a club team, every former college player, every dad, every this, every guy that got cut from a real good team just started their own team. I feel like now, especially at the 15U and above level, it's not watered down at all. The best players play on the best teams, and then those secondary. And then when I say secondary, I'm talking. Low-level low D1 guys, uh, high-level D2 guys, they're playing on, like, a Wattaca a showcase team or, like, a grid. Or, there's places for them to play where, you know, you know, Kyle and Aiden, my cousins, play for Canes National. And a lot of my players play for U.S. Elite National. So you, you're sending your big-time Division One players to play against the best in the country. And then the other guys find a spot with some really good people that they're going to get recruited and get a chance to play college ball. Now, yes, at the 11, 12, of course, it's daddy ball. There's a lot of that stuff. But I don't think that'll ever change. But even last year playing 13U, it wasn't as much – it wasn't as bad as when it was, say, 10 years ago. Because people are looking for coaching, especially at when you get on the big field.
1: Right? Coming from the high school level, Steve, what's – as a high school coach, what's your perspective and your – your co-coach's perspective, do you want them playing for a school team over the summer? Do you prefer them going to the club teams over the summer? I mean, I think it's changed so much from when we were playing ball and the only option was to play for your town team and maybe the high school coach was involved or whatever the case may be. Legion was a big deal, right?
2: Right, right. I played senior Babe Ruth when I was a kid. We got to like the state championship was like the best thing ever. But no, now it's all about exposure. Like if you're If I'm a a high school coach, any high school coach, whether you're the guy at St. Joe's where I coach or Bergen, your kids are going to play. You want your kids going to play for the best clubs around, you know. The biggest thing I've been afraid, I coach varsity this year. Obviously, there's no season. But my three years as a freshman coach at Joe's, you realize that when the kids come in, because I I consider myself a teacher of the game, right? So I want to play the game right. You realize these kids come in with zero knowledge base. They're not, they don't have a knowledge base of, cutoffs they don't have a knowledge base of bunk coverages they don't have a base running is probably the most lacking thing in you in young baseball when you get to that big field you know from the 50 70 field it's you can do whatever you want the bases right. are so small but you know the little things these little components of the game that when you're at st when it's st joe's verse you know uh tenafly it doesn't matter we don't need to do those things right we're going to beat them because we're more talented but when it's st joe's verse Bergen or Bosco or, you know, or Seton Hall prep, those things are the, mar- you know, the games are won in the margins sure. and, you know, those little margins are what wins games. And I see, you know, when I was a freshman coach, I saw like, I need to get these kids better. But if they, in my first year there, they did, they bought in and we were a much better team from game one to game 20. And my second year, it was a different set of kids. They weren't, you know, they did not buy into the system. They thought they knew it better than me. Mike,
0: you talk about that all the time, right? That's all you, right? You talk about the buy-in and sometimes you just can't, no matter what you do, however you sell it, you just can't get a group to buy in and the message just falls on deaf ears, right, Mike? That's like,
1: you've told stories about it. It's the biggest challenge in coaching in high school, which is a revolving door right? As opposed to club, I took my team, they were second year 12s and I took them up to 18U and you had them for six seasons and that buy ins consistent. The high school level, especially the sub varsity levels, you've got kids for three months and then next year you got to start over with a different group and you could sell your message the same way and it lands completely differently.
0: Yeah. A lot
2: of it is a lot of it, especially that what I saw was luck of the draw. You know what I mean? You had just a great group of kids that, that, the first day at practice, you're going through your drill work and your and everything, they see, okay, this guy has a, a clue and a purpose. Like this guy is doing this not for eye wash or not to kill twenty minutes here, but we're doing this for a reason. Where the second year they just couldn't wrap their mind around, like why are we doing this? Let's just take BP or let's just take ground balls. Like they didn't they didn't get that. All right, this guy knows what he's doing, and he has a clue. And we're doing this for a reason, and it's the reason why we had more success. I mean, my team uh, two years ago was talented; we were super talented,
0: but they just didn't buy into the to the system. So. Steve, where have some of your team, your players on your teams and your programs, what kind of schools have they gone to? I mean, I think it's worth mentioning; it's pretty so, impressive.
2: Yeah. So right now we have we have a player that he was at Vanderbilt for two years. Now he's transferring to Georgia Tech. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy. We have Devin Ortiz that just went to. Um, he's a. He'll be a junior again at Virginia. Evan Bergman is at uh, High Point. He'll be sophomore again this year. Uh, we have a player at Tulane who was with us. I mean, and then many other. Um, Jake Denner was at Michigan. I mean, I mean, you're asking me to go back a pretty long way, but yeah, we have. I mean, we had a ton, a ton of great players. You know, we had Nick Cantone's at. Um, Marist College. I got guys at William Patterson. Got guys at University of the Sciences. I mean, all over the place. And I, you know, the good thing is I have relationships with those kids till this day. You know, they're just they're tremendous, tremendous kids, and they appreciate you know
0: what they did coming up in our Ravens program. So that's a big part of it too, right? There's a social aspect to the club scene and to club ball that. It's powerful, you know, especially in softball where you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get a big time contract and you're not going to get drafted. You're, the relationships that you make, you know, that's, that's such an important part of it. Like you got to latch onto a team where you feel like, you know, you, you, got, that, you got that sense of, of family and like you feel like you can grow with these people. That's, that's a huge part of that. And a lot of that's coaching too, right? Creating that atmosphere where you, mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge part of it where you create that atmosphere, at least in my opinion yeah
2: well I've had a different experience my last so my last four years I've been coaching a a, essentially a town team it's uh uh, Rivervale and Hillsdale so I got them at um 12 years old and they wanted me to coach it was uh, some of my clients you know some people I knew on the fringe and they wanted to hire a coach and at that time I was kind of freelancing I wasn't with Garrett I wasn't I didn't have my own business I was just giving lessons in a cage and I'm like, all right, and I didn't, honestly, I didn't really want to do it, and my wife said, throw a number at them, that's going to be, like, you know, worth your while. I did, and they had no problem paying it, and And right, then you're like,
0: man, man I should have asked, asked for more.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> it's like no, every
1: com- it's every conversation I've had with Lee in the last five years, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Mike's like,
0: I'll do it, but it's going to cost you 20 grand. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, we'll do it.
2: So... Uh, so I did, and I, you know, so I get there, you know, and this is a pretty much a, a new bunch of kids to me. And I get there day one, and I have a parent meeting, and I wanted to be upfront where I said, you know, listen, it's gonna be fair, but not that fair. Like, yes, is every gonna is every one of these twelve kids gonna play equal amount of time? No. Are is anyone gonna get buried on the bench because they're not doing well? Absolutely not. I said, are our best players gonna play more than our not so good players? Yes. And I said, despite what you think, if your kid's a shortstop or a center fielder or a catcher, I will put them in the best position that they're going to be prepared to play varsity baseball. At, at the end of the day, when you have a 12 year old team, that's really your goal, right? Your goal is to get them to play varsity baseball at some point. And 80% of them will, and 20% will fall off, and that's fine. And from that day, I didn't get crap from the parents at all because I laid down the law: This is how it's going to be. You know, and I think that's what a lot of club coaches fall into, where they make these promises that they can't keep, you know, whether it be, we're going to be a top team in the state, or we're going to be a top team in the nation, or you're going to get a division one scholarship, you know, you can't promise that at 12 because it's, nobody knows, nobody knows whether that's going to be the case or not. So, you know, I think being honest with the parents right up front, varsity is our goal and I'm gonna do the best I can for them to get them to that point. So after I coached them at 12, 13, 14, 15. So last year, we're super competitive on the club level. We didn't play on a town level, we played on a club level and we were ultra competitive. We didn't win tournaments, but we would win our bracket and go to the semis. And you know, it got to the point where the parents would ask me like, Steve, how come you're not talking as much anymore? And I said, this is what you paid me to do. I coached them for three years. Watch them play the game. They play the game perfectly. Like they know, they communicate. They're talking to each other. You don't need my voice anymore. So after that, I kind of told them like, listen, you guys are going to go. There were two players that are going to be division one guys. So they had to obviously go play for a national team. And I placed them with that national team. Some other guys with Wadika and here and there. But They didn't realize I wasn't quiet because I didn't care. I was quiet because I didn't need to be loud anymore. I was loud for – I probably coached them for 120 games before that year. So from game 120 on, if I have to be loud, I haven't been doing a good job of the first 120.
1: It's so interesting because as we've been talking about what reopening is going to look like for all of these club teams, coaches are going to have to wear masks and things like that. One of the things Lee and I have been talking about is – you have to get all of these teams without the luxury of maybe 120 games with them to a level of independence where your voice might not be the primary voice all the time from the dugout behind a mask. You've got to get these boys and girls, whichever sport you're coaching to be able to survive on their own a little bit and be able to make those decisions without you holding their hand each step of the way. It's going to be a challenge for some of these coaches.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, as a coach doing this for as long as I have, you know, there's about three or four kids that have really like stuck out in my life that have made my job easier on the field. And they're special because I've coached, you know, I've coached a bunch of different teams. And if you have that person, that's a leader that really understands what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to get across to the team. And they can, they can essentially shut you up and say, coach, I got this. I'll let them know. You don't have to keep, you know, I'm not a yeller. So you don't have to keep saying the same thing. I got it. You know, and as we've gone through the years, it's become few and far between that you get those guys because parents will complain, Oh, Johnny is, you know, is, you know, said F word to my son. And it's like, yeah, he's trying to motivate him. Like, and we haven't, um, I haven't had a leader like that in a really, really, really long time. But those guys have made my life a lot easier. And, you know, for you guys it would too. And this time coming back because if you had a voice of the kids, the coach doesn't need to say as much motivationally per se.
1: It's one of my favorite stories Lee has heard. I'm standing on third base coaching at a tournament. We're playing down to the level of our competition, and it's a game we're going to win ultimately because we're more talented. And I've got two girls behind me in the dugout arguing – as to whether or not the ground ball they reached on an error is considered a hit or not, whatever the conversation <laughs> is. And just as I'm about to turn around and lace into these two kids, I've got a third kid who I won't use the language she used on here, but uh, she did everything for me. And I just turned around and listened and said, thank you. And kept on, went on wow. doing my thing, but it was great to have that voice come from somebody else, put them in their place end the conversation right then and there. And yeah, that is. But that starts from, you know, some of that leadership in that kid is natural. And the rest of it, that comes from coaching also, right? Where you've coached them long enough that you've brought that out of them and they know what you, they are an extension of you. They have to understand you well enough as a coach to do that.
2: And also their parents, you know, the the kids that have been great people that I've had do not have crappy parents. Their parents are unselfish. Their parents raised them right. Their parents are, you know, hard workers, whether it be as a doctor or whether it be as working you know at UPS whatever it is you know the parent i think parenting's number one then the coaching you know and then they'll be able to kind of figure out their voice on the on the team but if they don't have that parenting the kids that i've had the most problems with in my career have been the kids with the selfish parents they're it's not about the us it's about the me and when you get those people those are the hardest, hardest, hardest teams to coach. It's a really, really difficult time yeah. to coach those teams.
1: Yeah, we've all been there for sure. Yeah, and a lot
0: of times it's true, right? When you're picking your teams, parents have a lot to do with that. I mean, if you know of, mm. of, a, of a parent that's a problem, they're, they just may not be worth the talent. Because especially in this club thing where you're traveling around every single weekend and you're spending dozens of hours with these families, you don't want to be around it. And you see, know, a lot never of had
1: people like that. Come on. Never.
0: Yeah. That's true. I'm talking about <laughs> other programs. Yeah. And, see, I, Go ahead, see
2: I always, so I had a few incidents in my career that are kind of funny for the podcast where, so I remember in, in 04 when I had that team, we're in um, Cooperstown. They, they had a, Oneonta university had a tournament. So it was our Cooperstown tournament, but at 14 years old and runner on third, one out. So i tell the kid, all right, fly ball to the outfield, what are we doing? Tagging up. All right, pitch goes by. Fly ball to the outfield, what are we doing? Tagging up. <laughs> third, third, third pitch, boom, fly ball to the outfield. His dad on the third baseline goes, run, run, run. Oh, kid gosh. takes off. Ball's caught, he can't tag, right? So now I don't even say nothing to the kid. I go to the dad. I said, I'm the coach, shut the hell up. They need to hear one voice, that's it. You cannot tell them the wrong thing. The guy shrunk away like he was a freaking like he was two foot four because what what can he say right what what could the dad say he was absolutely wrong I was absolutely right so you have to be able to kind of nip that in the bud and the other one was I was coaching a twelve U team in in Ripkin South Carolina and I'm trying to give this kid a hit and run and he won't stop looking at his dad Oof. behind home plate so I said. I said um, I think his his dad I think his dad's name was Brad. I'm like Brad. So I don't yell at the kid, I yell at <laughs> the dad. Brad, leave him alone. I'm like I'm trying to give him a hit and run right. now. <laughs> so after that the dad came up to me after the game and said Steve, I 100% apologize. I was totally wrong. He needs to have your attention, not my attention. So if you're not meek and there's a lot of coaches out there that are young, they're meek, they haven't dealt with parents and Parents can get away with that. They'll feed off that. I tried, even from a young age, 24, 25, I'm a super intense guy in the field. So, number one, like I want to win the game, right? So, I'm trying to do our best to win the game. But also, the kids need to be on the field with their coach. They can't be in the stands with their parent during an at bat or being on third base with one out. So, you know, those things are very important. And once I can kind of wrangle those parents, Things became easier for me because guess what? The next time they want to open their mouth up, they're like, ah, am I going to say yeah. something stupid here? Yo, is Steve going to yell at me
0: again?
1: I mean, Lee, I've watched you go through that evolution as a coach to some degree, hearing the stories of you coaching with the Ravens initially and then starting our own program and seeing the evolution of kids going off and doing their own things in between games and parents hanging out and soda fights and the snacks that they're bringing to like, let's rein this in. This has to be an us thing and we need to be able to separate them from that element in the course of a three game Saturday.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also Steve, you started this young. And for me, when I started coaching at 24, I wasn't nearly, you know, just because you've played at a high level, doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. Right. And so I, I didn't would,
2: play it. I played division three baseball. That was the
0: highest level I played. And right. And and, and Mike played college baseball as well. And, and I, I played at a high level. But when I became a coach, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, right. and, and the problem with that was I lost control. Right. I remember coaching my first team at 24. I was kind of just thrown in there, like, hey, go coach. Like, you know, you're playing in professional baseball, you played in college you know what to do, you know, baseball. It's like, yeah, but I don't know how to coach it. And I right. remember specifically being in uh, Fairfield. We were playing this Fairfield travel team, but they were like a club team. And I remember actually it was in Richfield park. It was where the fields we used to use up there and up in Richfield uh-huh. park and the ball went, you know exactly what the field I'm talking about yep. Ball goes up in the air. And I was just about to yell something like, call it, call it. And a chorus of dads who had infiltrated my bench were like two two and i was like i turned around i was like oh my god i've lost control of this team like i'm no longer in charge of this team and for me personally right it takes you know a while to develop and to build your confidence as a coach (laughs) and then when you walk into a room and you know like immediately now steve you know and mike you do as well once you walk into a room and you have that first meeting and not even you don't even need it but you feel like i'm in control here but that, Mm. that that takes time to develop, you know, that takes a lot of time, right? It takes a
2: lot, it takes a lot of time. And just, so when you first start to coach, you're not confident, you're not confident in in anything, right? You're not, you're not confident to call your first and third plays. Like why, you know, why should I call a throw through when I can call a cut? Or why should I call a cut when I could call a throw to third? And it's like, over the years you learn and I've learned, you learn through failure, right? Like I was embarrassed sometimes on first and third plays or like first and third, the the runner leaves early and my pitcher balks. Like, okay, we need to really rep that at practice. And you know, those years, I have a list in my phone that I showed my cousin, James, who's now coaching Mississippi for in college of, he's like, what do you do at practice? And I literally have notes on my phone. Like this is it from top to bottom of like, things that I've gotten absolutely smoked on in games that my teams will never get wrong again, you know, mentally never get wrong. They may not execute it physically, but mentally they'll never get that wrong again. You know, you got to, you you got to grow through failure and right. You're not, you're not, you're not going to have a lot of, it's not going to be like, you're going to go and coach and you're going to be Tony LaRusso right away.
0: Right. Well, I'll tell you what, when we transitioned over that first year, Mike and I coached together, this, you know, this 12U team, we didn't know you know we just assumed look we're you know we're 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 baseball people you know Mike's a coaching at the varsity level you know I'm playing over here whatever this softball like this is no big deal and Mike do you remember we were I think we're in Long Valley and we didn't even know what the circle rule was you know and the guy was like she's out of the circle we're like what the hell does that mean like who cares you know or it's like look back rule look back look back at what who cares what she's looking at you're out get the hell off the field you're out of here. Get the ball back in the circle, like you said. And we didn't know anything about the the most
1: accurate description of that first tournament ever, by the way. Yeah. We're
0: high-fiving, like, oh, man, they don't even know. You know, we're doing hidden ball tricks, Nothing's going on. In- <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, we – yeah, so, I, you know, it's funny with
2: softball. I love softball. I'm like and, – and my son loves to watch it, and my, my wife loves to watch it. And I've been asked a few times to coach, you know, at the – as, a, as an assistant. And I'm like, listen, I would need to intern. I said, I, I can't take your money to coach as an assistant because I don't know anything about the game. You know, I know I love to watch it. I know I love to watch girls hit home runs, but as far as bunk coverages and first and thirds and, and how things work, even cutoffs, I don't know the cutoff rotations in softball. I Neither have do no way clue. Steve. Neither do we. And, I, <laughs> and I said, I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take your money because I, you know, outside of a hitting coach, like I'll be your hitting coach, but to assist another coach that really knows the game, like I wouldn't be doing much for that, for that person. So, you know, one year I'd love to do like an internship with a great high school coach and really learn the game. Cause I'm sure once I learn, it's not that much different than baseball. And then, you know, as my kids, go to college and get older, I would love to get into the game because I love I love the game. I love the speed of the game. You know, I love how athletic the, the shortstops have to be and the outfitter's have to be and the way they get rid of the ball and the timing they have to get rid of the ball. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, Lee and I, I mean, look, we're all base, like baseball people at our core, and I think Lee and I, I can speak for Lee here too in that we've really come to love the game, the sport. Mm-hmm. I think everything is so condensed that even from a coaching aspect of making decisions and what you want to do, our time frame is sped up. Also, everything is so mm-hmm. condensed on that field that it adds an intensity level that a, a seven or nine inning baseball game, you know, the third inning with two outs and nobody on doesn't have that same feel in softball. Right. Mm-hmm. Two outs, nobody on in the third inning is a drag bunt, double away from being a, a situation yeah. <laughs> you've got to defend. Right. I mean, it's just a right. totally mm-hmm. different sport in some of those yeah, aspects.
2: Especially, so. Right, especially when you have those high-level pitchers on the mound and it's, you know, you've are got to scratch that run. We I haven't found a, a way age. to beat
1: those pitchers yet. but Yeah, <laughs> <know.
2: laughs> yeah, especially at a young age when they're not able to hit those home runs yet. You know, as you get older, the home run ball plays a big part in it. But at the 10-U, 12-U, 14-U level, the girls aren't trying – you know, as you guys know, they're not. That three-run homer isn't changing the game yet. you got to get that runner in from second with
0: no outs. Yeah, you know, we've we've coached. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you, you know, you coach teams at a young, you know, softball, right? You coach teams at younger levels, where you're playing a team that knows how to bunt and get the ball down, and it's you realize quickly it's it's just difficult to just make simple plays, and you can just keep putting, it, right. just keep putting it in play. Just if you just keep right. the pressure on in softball, and and you know, look, it's been a long time since I coached baseball, so I don't remember at the youth level, but in softball, if you just keep getting the thing in play. It's really difficult mm. to get outs. Well,
1: and um, speed, is see, the, a- speed is the the intangible factor in softball because the bases are so close. When you get somebody mm, who right. can fly, it is almost impossible. And we've played people where I know I have felt like it is impossible to defend it. My girls couldn't defend it more perfectly than they did. And we're not capable of getting that kid out because she flies. And in baseball, at the yeah, 90-foot I- bases, it's not the same weapon it's not the same because there's nobody
2: in ncaa division one baseball that hits 530
1: but the right. leadoff hitter for ucla
2: every year hits from 510 to 530 because like you said you it, it has to be number one she has to screw her bunt up where it's a little hard or whatever and they have to they have to muffle it a little bit like not they yeah. have to be perfect getting the ball over to first you know and it's, uh, it's a really tough game when that speed is involved. But on the baseball side, it's one of my things where I will not lose because another team can bunt and we can't defend it. Hey, listen, if we throw it into right field, okay, yeah, that that's going to happen. But to not be aware that, you know, if there's a runner on second, our third baseman's not charging to let that guy steal behind them. You know, it's not going to be first, you know, runner on first late in the game and we're not going to know our our rotation so you know that's one of the things because i did early in my career i got beat by bunts and it's like i'm not getting beat by bunts anymore like i don't want to get if you're going to hit a double in the gap to beat me i'll shake your hand after the game i'm not getting beat by guys that that want to just bunt and bunt and bunt and bunt
1: how many coaches at the club level do you feel you beat because their teams aren't prepared for those situations See, I don't bunt.
2: <laughs> so, even if they don't know how to defend the bunt, especially at the younger level, I'm saying at the at the younger. Steve, level, your I mean,
0: secret's out now, bro. Your secret's uh, out. Like
2: last, this okay, so Steve. last year, last year we played in the Memorial Day tournament, and I had a two strike walk off suicide squeeze with my own son, and then another go ahead suicide squeeze in the last inning with my own son. So I'll bunt my own son because he's a little guy, but he, I mean he could hit, but I knew he can handle a two-strike squeeze. They weren't ready for it. But um, I don't bunk because, you know, I've seen so many kids that were little when they were 13, and all the coach did was make them bunk. Then at 15, they're kind of big kids, and they can't hit because they've never hit before. Or they can't drive a runner in from third but less than less than two outs because all they did was bunk right. at 13. So I'm not a big bunk guy until – listen, if it's a sixth inning and I'm down a run and it's first and second nobody out, I'm bunting. You know, everybody should be able to get that down, but also everybody should be able
0: to defend that, you know, where you have your rotation, you know, where everybody's going. When we're done playing a tournament or during a tournament and we've been on that short little softball field and then like you go to a baseball field, even as a pl- guy who played and they get on there like oh my god this is the biggest oh, yeah, you. field on the planet like how do <laughs> <laughs> and i played, i played i played men's league for a long time and i
2: get on a baseball field and take ground balls on my team now and it's like i'm, I'm throwing the ball like a, you know bringing yeah, down you got a rag
0: arm bro like, and you got a rag yeah. arm and first base yeah. seems impossible to get to if you had to <laughs> run there <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of to bring it back a little bit so you know now that we're you know, where do you stand now with – obviously you've got some practices rolling around. Are you planning on did, – did you have tournaments that were uh, in place? So, I had
2: one. So, all of my – I was entered in eight tournaments. That's Actually, seven. Schedule. I had seven. So, I had one more to go. So, my, my whole theory this year with my team was we're going to start in March. We had a practice in March. April 1st, we had a doubleheader set up with uh Del Barton team. How this work out Barton for you, by Theater. the way, Steve? Oh yeah, it was (laughs) terrible. It all blew up. All the hours of work blew up. So like that was my goal was to go two tournaments, two tournaments a month, April, May, June, July, right? So the one in July that I had our last tournament, the seventh it's a week long at Diamond Nation, the seventeenth to like the twenty fourth. We're still on for that. So that'll be our first tournament. There is one in chapter Although they got, I was supposed to coach for Garrett this yeah, weekend and we canceled. got, we got canceled. So, um, so for Chester, I, not for, there's one in Chester the week before the 12th. So I may do that one if we can build our arms enough to get there. So I'm hoping if we could play four to five tournaments and then another, you know, have scrimmages and play double headers on weekends, if we can play 25 to 35 games, I'd be thrilled.
0: Throw. That's a full summer for you guys
2: right right and that's a good you know barring the you know
0: the circumstances that's yeah. a great schedule for these guys yeah it's like planning then, something that's completely unpredictable because you know look right. next week they may say we're going to push this thing back or we may pull back completely you know it's like so Correct. it's really it's sad I, I I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other day he's got a, an eight-year-old son and you're like you don't think about it, but the majority of kids aren't going to play, you know, a lot of kids aren't going to play even in high school, let alone college. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, you're eight years old and you're losing an entire, so what you got, let's say you got seven years of baseball or softball, right? I mean, you're losing an entire year. That really sucks. I mean, it
1: sucks to lose Mm -hmm. an entire year of your summer and not play anything.
2: Yeah. I I think youth sports
1: might, I think youth sports might hurt a little bit coming back from this. I think there's going to be, Look, you have diehard kids and parents who are always going to play sports, but I think you also have some young kids like those eight-year-olds who a, year, a full calendar year off of playing baseball or whatever it is might never come back to it.
2: Yeah, they, they lose interest pretty quick. I mean, I had that conversation with my son where, you know, I'm like, if you get cut from your freshman team next year, which 99% he doesn't, but your career is over. That's kind of it. Like, you're Oof, done. You
1: know, that's, that's, a heavy, so far, that's a heavy thought. heavy
2: thought. <laughs> Yeah, I love to put that on my kid list.
1: Yeah, <laughs> really. And by the way, you can't leave the house for six months. Go sit yeah. on that. Yeah. There's
2: gonna be some kids that get cut from his freshman team next year. That that's kind of it. Like yeah. you're dumb. You played, you know, seven, you eight, you nine, you ten, you eleven, you twelve, you thirteen, you fourteen. You so you got your eight years in, and the end you're done. You know, and I say to him all the time. So he's got his eight years in. And if he doesn't play in college, there's only four left. So, he's two-thirds of the way through his baseball career. You know, it's a, it's a
0: weird way to look at it. Cause Wow, that's heavy.
2: For a guy his age, it's like I got all these four years to go. But, dude, you just played eight years. For him, he played nine because he played at six. He had a club team, and he was pretty good. So, he was able to play them. So, yeah, he's nine years through his career already. And, you know, if he doesn't play in college, there's only four to go.
1: Steve, what have you been doing with your with your team during this downtime to be as ready for when you can pick back up as possible? Did you meet one of them doing anything? Not much. Anything? I
2: mean, just really, so like just checking in with them, make sure they're working. I get videos every day from everybody's backyard or at their okay. local field and stuff. And so we talked through that. I, had, I actually had my first indoor. We only had eight guys coming because two guys couldn't show up. So we had eight guys come in and I did hitting for, for a while for about an hour but then we have a chalkboard in the facility so like no parents could come in the facility so it was just me and the eight kids and we did some chalkboard work some bunk coverage work some like double cut work on a, on a shore double and um first and thirds you know I try to keep my system is pretty simple you know like you got to get good at the simple stuff so just going over like the mental game because mm-hmm. that's where they lack the kids on my team I would say so I coach 2024 20, boys and 10 out of 10 of them have a legit chance to play varsity as freshmen so they're really talented kids their their physical skills don't lack at all but mentally they're okay. Like, they're not great at all. You know. Do they so watch the game a work. lot?
1: Or do you feel like you're – are you seeing that all – I see that all the time where we talk about how kids not just much. don't watch baseball anymore.
2: Not much. Pain. You know, like my son gets into the playoffs with me, but he's not with me watching the Yankees every night. He watches the playoffs mostly. And I think most of the kids are kind of the same way, yeah. that they'll – They'll they'll watch the playoffs and, you know, he'll he'll sit down with me on a weeknight and, you know, stay up and we'll watch and talk. And, you know, he's smart. Like we go to the Yankee games and, you know, he's a catcher, so all right, what's he throwing, you know, two two, all right, slider or two two. And he's smart. He understands pitch calling better than he understands anything. In, in baseball. So we'll play that guessing game throughout the game. That's the fun part about being a dad with a kid that likes baseball, Sure, you know, is, is like, what's coming here? What do you think he's throwing here? Ooh, that was a good swing. You think he doubles it up or what, what do you think he comes with? It's fun, but he's, listen, he's got his friends, girls, video games. There's a lot going on in eighth, going into ninth grade, probably a lot more than when
1: we were growing up. For years, I was giving my kids blank score sheets. And I like one of mm-hmm. the requirements preseason was, You have a week, but you have to go watch three innings of a baseball game and keep score because I know you're not watching games otherwise. And Mm -hmm. I need you to watch baseball. I need you to see where a guy stands, where he shifts in the field based on what happened on Mm -hmm. the pitch before it. Things that we were glued to, you know, WPN watching games on a a Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. These kids are just not watching baseball at all. And I think the mental game really suffers because of it.
2: Well, I think there's so much more to do. Sure, like, it's not a criticism of
1: the kid. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that's I a. Think
1: like, yeah. Go ahead, Steve.
2: Go
0: ahead. I was going to say the softball certainly that's an issue. There is no feel because they don't watch baseball. But what's really cool recently is softball has you know been on TV with all these different you know Power yeah, Five. Yeah. It's great and it's fun to watch, wow. and you any night of the week during the spring you can catch a you know, you can catch a softball. Game. And I, I just, yeah, Arizona,
2: my... Arizona state on a third. Yeah, or
0: even I was watching like Florida a and versus, yeah. you know, some Southeastern conference, you know, Sun Belt, whatever, you know, when you watch it like that way too, I think it gives every, you know, puts things into perspective. Parents should watch it more at times too. These kids are really good. Like really they are big <laughs> and really fast and really right. athletic. <laughs> and yeah. they're the real deal. And, you know, it, it's 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 fun to watch that. So yeah, there's uh you know I don't know if they watch anymore. It's a world of highlights now. It's a world of TikTok. It's a world of 15 mm-hmm. seconds. I right. do it myself too, right? I, I I'm uh, a golf nut now, so I just watch eight seconds of Tiger Woods swings. You know, and you mm. know it's it's tough to keep their attention. La- Real quick, Steve, and, and and maybe the last thing and the most important thing. When Mike was out coaching you during that game, <laughs> like at what point were you like this guy is so out coaching me? We are we are so. But the bigger point is this: Mike's team obviously was playing guys not nearly as talented, right? How do you you know you, how do you motivate your kids who maybe be looking beyond the first round or second round of the counties? That's got to be a tough thing, right? How do you like get your kid? Because like, you know as a coach, this is this is danger zone. So how do you? How do you get your kids prepared All right. for, for? All that? right.
2: So one of my one of my great friends, Frank Salvano Senior, led literally legend of New Jersey baseball. Right. He every year when he won, either he won the counties or lost the counties. He, the hardest game for him to get out of was game one. Whether you know he was playing Northern Highlands, he lost. Rob Kaminsky, first round pick, the only first round pick in the history of Bergen County, lost two one to virtual Park. They got no hit his junior year of high school. So Frank always told me from I coached I coached in 2010 at St. Joe's or 2012 the freshman. So we were the one seed. We were undefeated. Great team. All the guys are playing D one now. We're playing Emerson. So we're down one nothing going into the seventh.
0: Ooh, it's getting late. And
2: we don't it it is late.
0: It's (laughs) It's getting late. late.
2: So I'm like, well, this is embarrassing. Like we're going to lose, you know, they were the a 16 seed and they were through a kid that threw 12 miles an hour and we were out in front. And thank God, I remember Connor McCabe hits a freaking double. Then we drive him in. Then we steal second. Then we get another single, second and third. We get a sack fly, Boom, we walk off. Everybody goes nuts. So we win 2-1. So now, so I know coach from the facility. I know coach Mike from the facility. So, I know. I said, I said, I know what's going on, Mike. I said, I know. You're going to throw some guy throwing 43 miles an hour. And it's going to be a tight game for many innings. And it was. They were beating us early. And I think something happened where their right fielder made a mistake. Yeah. And once, like, once that mistake happens and the momentum goes towards the better team, it might have been the fifth inning. So, he had us late. Like, we were not the <clears> mistake once that one miss cuz they really got to play perfect to beat us and if they do right if we play kind of bad on offense and they play perfect with pitching and defense they'll beat us but that that mistake happened the ball got by and we scored two runs and i think we tied the game and yeah. from there you know it wasn't a it wasn't a blow up by any means but no it's as a as a big favorite in the county tournament that first round you know you know that you're as much as you tell your kids, do not overlook this. We're not going to look past these guys. These guys are going to – they can beat us. They have a shot. Like, no, that it's not, it's
1: game gonna... was the perfect storm, too, in the sense that your team probably overlooking us a little bit. My team's probably crapping their pants a little bit. And then top of the first, we scored two runs. right. right but where right, we right, lost yeah. that game, because that mistake in right field for my team is inevitable. If you put the ball in play yeah. enough, my kids are going to make a mistake. Right. But we had, I think it was – First and third, two runs in with nobody out, and didn't score another run. And that's where for Fairlawn, for the 16 seed to beat the one seed, you've got to score five runs in the first inning. There, you can't you can't score two and hope to win two one against the one seed. It's probably not going to happen.
2: Well, that was my first year. My first year coaching Joe's freshman. We were 20 and 0 going into the county final versus Bosco. We have bases loaded, no outs in the first. Mm-hmm. ball hit down ball hit down the third baseline their third baseman makes a layout diving caught it stepped on third through the first double play so we we cash one run in and that was it that's all we got on game yeah. like if that ball goes down the line we got second and third nobody out two in and that kid made a great play and I think we lost three one we just never we couldn't cash another run in you know it, it changed the game in the first inning
1: well, I'll tell oh, yeah. you what, Stephen. If you being ever a feel you're like, have I, yeah, I was gonna say, if you ever feel like switching for a day, one day, and you want to <laughs> coach the underdog, I'm happy to coach the one seed and see what those challenges are like. All right?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot easier than coaching me. I totally agree. I totally agree. But now, those are the fun stories about coaching because those stories stick in my mind every day. You think about what if? You know, you're talking about one inch off the guy's glove like that game changes, but. It's what's great about sports. It's what's great about coaching. So it's fantastic. steve has been awesome.
0: Thank you so much for for being on the, the podcast, brother. Uh, you know, Mike and I were like, who are we going to get for baseball? It's like, Steve Teal, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, thank he's you. just in and out. He's just the best. Really appreciate you spending, you know, wh- what day is it? Tuesday night? Tuesday. The day's,
1: they all blend together. They all blend together.
0: Thanks for spending <laughs> Tuesday night. Um, yeah, Steve, good luck with you your season.
1: Good seeing you, Mike. Continue yeah, you later. too. Be well and good luck with the with the boys this summer. All right. All right. We'll talk All right. soon. All right, Steve. For Lee Rubin, I'm Mike Rosenloom. Thanks for listening to the Club Sports Podcast. Be sure to click and subscribe to the show and check us out over on Twitter and Instagram at at Club Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.